Great. I'm going to jump straight into, we've had a full morning already, and, uh, and this morning's message, sometimes when you're preaching on a passage, you think, how do I do this message in 30 minutes? But I'm going to try my best. But it's already 11 past 10. Noted? Okay, so ready, steady, let's go. Let's see how we do. Hashtag. As long as you use a hashtag, you feel relevant, hey? Live Changed Lives. That's my title uh, uh, this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 24. Warren said to me this morning, when are we going to finish Ephesians? We'll finish Ephesians, just not yet. Ephesians chapter 4, let's read from verse 17. Now this I say, and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer live, walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They, that's the Gentiles or unbelievers, are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ! Exclamation mark. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught about him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Kapow! What a killer passage. Let's jump straight into it. This passage in Ephesians, really, and everything that follows it from verse 17, in you, if you look in your Bible, from Ephesians 4, 17, all the way through to Ephesians 5, verse 4, is an explanation of what Paul has said in Ephesians 4, verse 1. If you remember Ephesians 4, verse 1 from two weeks ago when Kira preached, Ephesians 4, verse 1 Paul urges the Ephesians and urges us to live their lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. That we are to live lives. If we've believed in Jesus, we're to now live our lives as if we have believed in Jesus. And so in verse 17 to 24 of chapter 4, Paul is on what I would call a general principle. Don't live as the unbelievers live or as you used to live. That's the general principle and over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack. Next week, we're starting with how we speak to one another. He's going to unpack that principle into all sorts of things, including life and marriage and employment and all sorts of things. But the big idea is that we as believers in Jesus, having believed in Jesus, are to no longer live like unbelieving people do. We're not to live like we used to live. We're to live changed lives. Amen. How can we do that, though, you might think? How can we live a changed life? Just put up your hand if you've never decided to change something in your life. Don't think there's going to be any hands up here. If, you, if you've decided, I'm going to change something, only to find it's harder to do than you expected. I really wanted to change something in my life, but you found out it was harder to do than you expected. You know, I think that there's an expectation. I would say that there's even a right expectation 
amongst those who don't follow Christ, unbelieving people, when they think of Christians, people who say they're following Christ, they expect those people to live a changed life. Would you agree? And I think that they're right in that. When we profess to believe in Jesus, there's an expectation that we would actually start looking like Jesus, we would follow him. Well, if I speak personally to my shame, oftentimes there's a disconnect between my believing in Jesus and my living like Jesus when I'm on the squash court and it's getting competitive. And I, in that moment, when I really wanted to live like Jesus, I wanted to change, I wanted to respect every referee's decision ever, but in the heat of the moment, what I ought to be and what I wanted to be and what I was sometimes are different. Do you know that feeling? I've had once or twice, to my shame, say to me these words, aren't you a pastor? You might say, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm off. No, 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 no. They've also said, aren't you a Christ follower? Aren't you a Christian? Ouch! Huh? Our scripture today urges us to live changed lives. Our scripture today urges us to live lives that are no longer the lives we used to live before we believed in Jesus, and to live lives that are not the same as those who are outside of faith in Christ and living as they want. The Bible says we to live a changed life. Just turn to the person next to you and say, hashtag, live changed lives. If you're older, hashtag's that funny little symbol, okay? So let's, three points out of this passage. Firstly, right thinking leads to right living. Right thinking leads to right living. I've already said to you over the next few weeks, as we preach beyond Ephesians 4 verse 17 onto Ephesians 5 verse 4, there's going to be all sorts of practical exhortations to live changed lives. And as we get into those passages, which are going to tell you to talk in a certain way or to act in a certain way, I want to warn you that you need to keep thinking again and again about Jesus and what he did on the cross for you. Every time you hear an exhortation to live a certain way, you need to think about Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. You see, if you're not careful, when we get to a list of things that we should do, we can end up becoming no better than the Pharisees with all their laws and legalism and their moralistic teaching with rules and regulations that don't change people at all, but just put people under a heavy burden. We mustn't run away from the in, uh, um, the teachings of Scripture to live changed lives. We mustn't run away from them, but when we encounter them, we must point ourselves and one another to Jesus. You see, the gospel is not just the source of your salvation. It is also the only source of real ability to change in your life. The gospel is not just how you get into the kingdom of God. The gospel is how you live the kingdom of God in everyday life. And so only through meditating on the gospel, on what Jesus did for us on the cross, continually can you really change in your life. And so let's take a moment to think back about the day of our salvation. If you have never put your faith in Jesus, just listen in. 
Because this is what happens in a moment when you put your faith in Jesus. Two big things happen. Two important things are, are necessary. We need, as we hear in the next few weeks of imperatives to live changed lives, we need to do two things. Firstly, we need to know what God did for us in the moment of salvation. Believers, you need to know what happened when you put your faith in Jesus. You need to know it. And this is the summary. Everything changed in a moment. When you believed in Jesus, everything changed in a moment. Let me just share a few. This isn't everything, but God united you to Jesus Christ in the moment that you believed. That's Romans 6 verse 5. In the moment of salvation, Romans 6, you died to your old life. The old you died, and you were given new life in Jesus. That's what Romans 6 says. Romans 6 says that in the moment that you believed in Jesus, you were set free. You were set free from what? You were set free from your sin. You were set free from your shame. You were set free from the control of the devil. He is not your master. Jesus is your king. Hallelujah. In an instant, in a moment, Romans 6 verse 4 and Romans 6 verse 8 says, you were given new life in Jesus Christ. The life you are living now is the life of Jesus in you. Galatians 2 verse 20. And so, because of all of that, Romans 6, you might say you should have preached on Romans 6. Romans 6 verse 11 says, and so we are now dead to sin, say dead to sin, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's the believer. You are dead to sin and you're alive to God in Christ Jesus. That is what happened to you. Friend, your salvation might not have felt radical to you. But it was. You might have put your faith in Jesus when you were only so high and you were in pulse and a teacher shared something about Jesus and you put your faith in Jesus. You might not even remember the day. Your journey to Jesus might have been a slow, gradual journey and there weren't any fireworks in the sky. Friend, your salvation was radical because of everything I've just told you. The Bible language screams out that when we put our faith in Jesus, a massive thing happens. Regardless of what you felt was happening, when you put your faith in Jesus, everything changed. Everything. The old you died. You were born again and raised to new life in Jesus Christ. You were so radically changed that 2 Corinthians 5.17 says you are literally a new creature. You are a new creation. That is how different you are. In that instant, as we sung earlier, you became a son, a daughter of the Most High God. In that moment, sin's shackles and chains were bust off you forever. And God declared over you, not guilty forever, regardless of what you do. And all of heaven rejoiced that you had put your faith in Jesus. And your eternity is secure forever and ever and ever. And so heaven had a party because of you. Friend, your salvation might not have felt amazing, but it is amazing. And so you need to know that 
from Scripture. And so although everything changed in the moment that you put your faith in Jesus, that's what Paul's saying, in light of this great calling, verse, verse 1 of chapter 4, in light of what happened to you, now live your life worthy of what happened to you. And so although everything changed on the moment that you put your faith in Jesus, and if you've never put your faith in Jesus, you can put your faith in Jesus today. And many people, glory, Jesus, do it on Alpha, are going to put their faith in Jesus. Everything changes on that day, and yet in one sense, everything must keep changing for the rest of their lives. Their position with God changed in a moment, but now their behavior must line up with their new position and their new nature and their new relationship with God. Does that make sense? Let me use an example from my, my finger and my hand. This ring is actually not my original wedding ring because I lost it, but this is the second one, okay? Still to one wife, okay? There was a day in 1994, in December, 95, sorry, oops, so, sorry, lovey, she's sick. There was a day that Nadine put this ring on my finger. And on that day, everything changed. I wasn't married, and in a moment, I was married. Everything had changed, and I've spent 24 years working it out. I can't leave my wet towel on the bed. I, I have to just live differently. So in one moment, my life changed, never the same again. And I'm working it out for the rest of my life. It's like you with salvation. The day you put your faith in Jesus, everything's changed. New relationship with Jesus Christ, new relationship to sin, Satan, and death, new power in the Holy Spirit. And now you've got to work it out for the rest of your life. Do you understand the difference? You're not trying, I'm not trying to be married. I am married. I'm living like I am married. You're not trying to be saved if you put your faith in Jesus. You're living like you are. You're saved. So live like you are. So secondly, we need to firstly know what happened on the moment of salvation. And secondly, we need to know, we need to ask this question. How should I live now? What should my response be? And the summary is that everything in our lives must change. Everything. And that is really what Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 to 24 and the passages that follow are saying. Because of what has happened to us, because our old self died when we trusted in Jesus, we're to put our old self, our old life patterns of living, we're to put those behind us and we're to live a new changed life. Because God dealt with our old self, because he dealt with our old sin master we can throw off our old way of living. We can put that off and we can put on the new clothes of the new life that God has called us to live. The amazing thing is that if you read Romans chapter 6, and I would urge you to read Romans chapter 6, from verse 11 onwards, it says this, prior to believing in Jesus, you couldn't have lived a godly life. It was impossible. But now, because God's dealt with your sin master and your sin and your shame, you and I can change and we can live the godly life that God wants us to live. So because we have the life of Jesus, Galatians 2.20 in us, we actually can live a life that is changed, that brings glory to God with the help of the Holy Spirit. Friend, brothers and sisters, if you've put your 
faith in Jesus, everything's changed in your life. You're a brand new person. And so what you need to do is live the person that you are. I'm not asking you to try and be someone else. I'm asking you simply to be who you are because of your faith in Jesus. My second point from this passage is the imperative in this passage. Do not walk. The, the word walk, the, the Greek word there can be used for live or walk. Do not live, do not walk. It's a metaphor. Do not live, do not walk as unbelievers do. Don't do that anymore. Having put our faith in Jesus, there should be a distinct change in our lives. We should live different to how we used to live. We should look different from those who don't believe in Jesus around us. In verse 17, B through to 19 of this passage today describes the source of the behavior of the unbeliever. You need to understand what is the source of their actions and their behavior so that you can understand that you have a different source now as a believer, so you should live different. Scripture, you know, doesn't merely look at how you behave on the outside. Scripture tells us that the source is the heart. And if you don't change the source, you can't change the behavior. Let me tell you a little story. Just, it's a fiction story, but let me tell you a little story I made up to try and explain the point. Imagine in your mind's eye a town on the banks of a river. Why don't you close your eyes? Imagine a town on the banks of a river which drew its drinking water and its water for irrigating the fields from that river. One day, the people in the town began to fall ill. And the crops in the fields that were being watered with the river water started to die. Some in the town started to realize that the river water had changed color. And that there was a smell coming from the river that they didn't recognize. The river water was no longer pure. It had become polluted. After some analysis, the clever people in the town concluded that the water was no longer suitable for drinking or watering the fields. And so they called the town's meeting to discuss what they should do, and they decided to build a filtration factory, a system to filter the water in the river so that they could cleanse it, and they could drink the water again and irrigate their fields. But... Unbeknown to them, just a hundred kilometers upstream, another town was the source of the problem. Because they had discovered chemicals that they could mine around their town, and they were mining these chemicals downstream of their town and using the river's water to process the raw material. So after extracting the chemicals from the ground, the water that was being used in that process was being let back into the river full of chemicals, and this is what had polluted the river. Why don't you open your eyes? What is wrong with the story? What is wrong with town number one? What is the first town missing in its thinking? You see, the town that was downstream, having polluted water, devised a plan to filter the polluted water. But what would have a better solution have been? 
the better solution would have been to find what was the source of the polluted river and deal with the problem at its source. Friends, sometimes we want to change things in our lives, and we're trying to change the the. The, you know, the flowers are dying and people are getting sick. And so we try to build a filtration system, but we haven't actually gone to the source. Well, in our passage today, and there's a parallel passage. You can write this down if you're taking notes. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 31 is a parallel and an expanded passage on Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 and 19. Those two verses are a parallel to Romans chapter 1. And Romans chapter 1 is abundantly clear. Where does the bad behavior, where does the ungodly behavior of people come from? Unbelievers. And here it is. I want to give you four stages that are both in Romans 1 and in Ephesians 4.17. The first stage of the problem of behavior is what you could call suppression. And Romans 1 is very clear, and Ephesians 4 is also clear, but the order is a bit more difficult to work out, that people, unbelievers, have a hardness of heart towards God. They have a rejection of God. They're unbelievers. They're rejecting God, and they are suppressing the truth. The Bible tells us that everyone is without excuse because what can be known about God is seen in creation. And so although people know that there is a God, they suppress that knowledge of God, which leads to stage two. Because they've suppressed the knowledge of God in their lives, it leads to darkness. It leads to foolishness. In Ephesians, it says the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their thinking. They are blinded in their thinking because they've suppressed the truth that they actually know of God. And so they become ignorant about the things of God, which leads to stage three. The result of them rejecting God, suppressing the truth, and becoming darkened or foolish in their thinking is that they get judged. They are alienated from God. They are separated from God because of their rejection of God. Romans chapter one says God lets them have the way that they want to live, God says, okay, you can live that way, but it's not my way. And so they choose to live away from God, and they choose to live not as God wants them to live or designed them to live, but to live in the way that they choose to live, which leads to stage four, which is what we see all around us in humanity. They become reckless and full of impurity. So because they've hardened their heart towards God, they then give themselves over to shameless sensuality, promiscuity, lust, and all sorts of evil. And actually in Romans chapter 1, it even says they begin to say these things that are bad are actually good things. Friends, Scripture here is generalizing. You might know some amazing people who, who don't believe in God and are, are better on the squash court than you. Scripture is generalizing here, but when you say no to God, you do get darkened in your thinking. You do get alienated from God, and you start calling things that are wrong right, and you're on a slippery slope. And so although Scripture is generalizing here, this is the pattern of the world. Can you see where the pollution is coming from? 
pollution comes from people saying no to God. Turning away from what they know about God and becoming darkened. Friends, wrong living is rooted in wrong believing. Hardness of heart towards God, closing your mind towards God, rejecting God results in a way of living where there is no shame, there is no sense of right or wrong, there is no anchor, and so people live as they please. The only rule for unbelievers is, what do I want? That is their only rule. And this leads them to all kinds of impurity and ungodly behavior, but all of its roots, the source is that they've shut God out of their lives. Our third point from our passage, verse 20. But this is not new if you've believed in Jesus. In fact, in Ephesians, there's a contrast for the believer for every of these four stages. There's a contrast, a positive for each of the negatives. Believers in Jesus have not suppressed the truth about God and Jesus, rather they've believed in Jesus. Believers in Jesus, because they've believed in God, it's not led to a darkening of their understanding. It's led to an enlightenment of their understanding. And we who've believed in Jesus have not been alienated from Jesus, but we've been reconciled to Jesus. And lastly, and so we are not to live with shameless impurity that unbelievers to live, but we're to live with godliness and holiness like the new nature that God has given us, it says in verse 24. Friends, the way to live a new life is to recall and to remind ourselves continually of everything that's changed for us who've believed in Jesus in the gospel. The, the gospel is a little bit like yeast. I, I love making bread. Wait, about six years ago, I think it was now, Wait, and I went on a a bread-making course, one of the best days of my life, actually. We just had fun, and it's continued to bear fruit in my life. And I've learned to love making bread. And you can say these raw ingredients of salt and water and yeast and flour, and, and when you put them together and you knead and mix the yeast in, suddenly something miraculous happens. The gospel is like yeast in your life. If you just leave the yeast on the counter or you just leave it on top of the flour, it won't do anything. But when you mix it in, it causes everything to get transformed. Friends, I want to urge you to massage the gospel into your life. Massage the good news of Jesus and what he's done for you into every aspect of your life. Jesus is our moral instruction. Jesus is our preoccupation. We don't have some new list of rules to follow as Christ follows. We have Jesus to follow. We know that we can't change ourselves. And so we came to Jesus who lived the life that we couldn't live and gives us his perfect life. Friends, we received the perfect gift of righteousness from Jesus as a gift. And so our position before God has changed forever. And having believed, everything changed. And so now we need to put off the old ways of living and we need to put on our new way of the life of Christ that lines up with everything that happened to us when we were saved. Friends, verse 21 of our passage says, we must allow God to renovate, to renew our thinking, which will in turn keep transforming us from the inside out. It'll transform us in our behavior, 
because we will love Jesus more and more. And so as we love Jesus more and more, the things that we want to do, our desires actually get transformed from the inside out. And so the things that we used to give ourselves to, they no longer appeal to us. Our desires have changed. Rather than wanting to please ourselves, we want to please Jesus. And so all sin, all impurity in our lives is actually a worship disorder. We, we're not living to worship the right thing. We're not loving the right person enough. We're loving the sin more than we're loving Jesus. And so loving Jesus back is the best way to change your old sin pattern life and to put on the new pattern of life that God's given us. We don't live like we used to because we love Jesus. And John 14 verse 15 says, it defines, Jesus himself defined love as obeying his commandments. So friends, that's what the new life is that God has given us. Our prayers change from I want to Jesus, what do you want? We walk with God now. That's our road, the Jesus journey. And the result is a changed the set of desires inside of us. And because our desires change and our thinking changes, our lives change. And so we no longer live as we used to, but we now live a life that resembles God, His righteousness and His holiness. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this passage can be summed up with live changed lives. How? Because you know what happened to you when you believed in Jesus. And because you know that everything must now change in your behavior because everything has changed already. I want to ask you to close your eyes as we come to a close this morning. When Scripture implores you to no longer live as you used to live, to no longer live like unbelievers, what comes to your mind right now that maybe needs to change in your life? You're not going to have to share this with anyone this morning, but just spend some time with God right now. When Scripture says, live a changed life, live who you really are now in Jesus, put off some things and put on godliness and holiness. What comes to mind for you? What are the things that you need to stop? And what are the things that maybe you need to start? Just spend a little bit of time by yourself, just talking to God. Just maybe, just under your breath, just name those things. The Holy Spirit is so gracious. He won't show you everything that needs to change in one moment because you'll probably have a heart attack. So just deal with what God's showing you now. Why don't you just, the word in the Bible is repent. Why don't you just say, Lord, I'm sorry that this, this is actually from my old life, but I've been carrying on living with it. Just give it to Jesus. This is why he died for you. So that he could take your sin and shame away. And he could give you his life. Ask him for his life. Just ask him right now. Lord, give me your life in Christ right now. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Just ask Him to fill you afresh. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're our helper. We love you, Jesus.
And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, I cannot employ you enough to put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you want to come and speak with me just now. or Maybe you want to sign up for Alpha. You will not regret signing up for Alpha and walking a road of discovering the good news about Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your word that's so rich. Lord, we want to be those who live the life you've called us to live. So we ask for your grace and your help. We pray that we would fix our eyes on you and we would love you more and more. And because of that, our lives would change. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.